Hi, I'm Dennis Metzler, and welcome to The Charge. Today, we're taking a look at intentional communities with Dr. Luther E. Smith, Professor Emeritus of Church and Community from Emory's Candler School of Theology and the author of the book, Intimacy and Mission, Intentional Community as Crucible for Radical Discipleship. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dennis, for this invitation. All righty. So to get started, if you could just give us kind of a brief orientation of your own theological um, views, um, denominational church traditions, however you want to describe it. Mm. I grew up in the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church um, until 1954. It was called the Colored Methodist Episcopal Church, uh, a church that primarily has Southern roots, but then spread to the uh, West as well as to the the North, especially um, as you had Black migration occurring out of the South. My local church was one that was so crucial to my own formation. I felt it was a second family for me. Um, if there was anything uh, that I would do that might be embarrassing. I would worry as much about what the local church would think as my um, immediate household. Uh, but I am so uh, indebted to that experience of long church involvement. Um, it eventually led to my uh, deciding to go into ministry. And so I'm also an ordained minister in, in the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church. I had my theological education at Eden Theological Seminary, which is a denomination. It's affiliated with the denomination of the uh, United Church of Christ and um, had as some really seminal uh, figures in my own formation, uh, persons uh, like reading uh, Reinhold Niebuhr and uh, Paul Tillich, um, Martin Luther King Jr. was very engaged in uh, the works that James Cone uh, provided for us as he was developing Black theology. I think uh, a major person for me, both in terms of my own formation as well as my scholarship, has been Howard Thurman, uh, a 20th century mystic who has, um, I think, been... Uh, someone who was a significant influence on our our lives. Uh, he was a mentor to Martin Luther King Jr., the first African-American to meet with Gandhi. And there's so much about uh, my own spiritual quest that is related to the mentoring of Howard Thurman. All right, good. So as far as your book, Intimacy and Communion, what is the background behind that? What led you to do the research and write that book? Uh, that too grows out of my investment in the local church where I would hear in sermons and Sunday school lessons and people's just testimony about how important it was for us to be deeply committed. I, I would hear that if we just gave more of ourselves to our religious convictions, we could change the world. And it was not just a matter of hearing that. 
there was for me a, a personal sense of believing it. And I wanted to test it. And intentional communities were a place where people's commitment uh, is quite intense. Uh, persons have been giving their all in terms of their time, their financial resources, where they are going to live. And it's um, intentional communities reflected for me that place where one comes to an understanding of the meaning of intense commitment as the possibility for transformation. So I embarked upon this research looking at intentional communities that were not only about bringing people together to deepen their own spiritual lives, certainly that, and their own uh, ways of being on the faith journey, certainly that, but also people who are committed to the transformation of society itself, which has been, um, for me, my fundamental understanding of Christianity, that um, Jesus was about this process of not only being in ministry to individuals, yes, that, and bearing testimony to God's compassion, also to God's passion about justice. And um, growing up throughout the civil rights movement and other significant movements for justice, that's been so fundamental to my own understanding of faith and certainly fundamental to uh, the way in which I perceive Christianity itself. So these communities that I selected, five communities, reflect that commitment of not only uh focusing on one's spiritual formation, but also attending to God's call of um, prophetic engagement with the issues of the larger community, especially around matters of uh, compassion and justice. And how would you define Christian intentional community? What are the earmarks? Mm. Um, you know, intentional communities have a wide range of uh, characteristics. Um, there are those which are not in any way interested in the social transformation uh, of the areas around them or the world itself. And there are those who really understand their purpose for coming together to be that of transformation. I think fundamental to all of them is uh, some level of covenant where members in the community are deeply committed um, certainly to the mission of the community, but also to one another, and who have some understanding of, of who I will be for you, which is a fundamental understanding of covenant, not just what I will do for you, because what I will do will grow out of who I will be. Hmm. But who will I be for you in this covenantal relationship? as together uh, we understand ourselves as being called by God for the particular mission of this community. And, and every community has uh, a mission, even though, as you would look at one, it may be very different than another, but every community has a sense of, of mission. And the ones on which I focused were those communities 
that really understood that their own Christian faith was um, essentially um, connected to the transformation of their immediate communities, especially, but also as with sojourners, um, having some impact upon the nation and the world. All right. And what would you say then is the, um, the biblical basis, the biblical theology behind Christian community? I think it's evident in both the uh, Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament. This call for justice, which the prophets are continually reminding people is God's heart. Um, this and and it's in Jesus's ministry. It's certainly healing individuals in terms of their woundedness, but also recognizing uh, people who are suffering under the under conditions of oppression. And um, Jesus is speaking against that kind of of impact on persons. There's um, a book that I think is really important to me personally, but is also one that uh, very much inspired those who were deeply involved in the civil rights movement. It's Howard Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited. And this understanding that Jesus understood himself to be one of the disinherited with a mission to the disinherited, not just to those who were the inherited and what they ought to do out of compassion for the disinherited, but immediately to the disinherited. And that's an important understanding of of Jesus, which means it's an important understanding for me of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and I think what the Christian faith itself should be about. So the biblical roots for this are, are deep. And my own question emerges, uh, what is the biblical roots for not being engaged in the issues of justice and uh, transformation in society? Uh, that I don't find. So wouldn't Acts, uh, early part of the book of Acts, especially chapter 2 and chapter 4, um, be identified by a lot of intentional communities as uh, foundational for them? Yes, I think foundational in terms of what it means to form community um, and the significance of, of the church as an expression of community. Uh, but a, a number of intentional communities take as a kind of... of uh, biblical model for their economic structures and what it means to live the simple life, um, Acts 2. Um, and then there are communities that are inspired by Acts, but at the same time do not feel that Acts 2 is necessarily calling them into the kind of economic arrangements that are suggested there. Um, but you're right. Uh that can be such a, an exemplary uh, scripture for many of the communities, even for those who do not necessarily feel that it's their calling to um, be living in the same household, caring for one another um, in terms of economic arrangements, and having that kind of intense collective life together. 
there are, are such different expressions of community that are available for those who feel called to be with others in this work of um, Christian fellowship as well as Christian mission. All right. I've also noticed that a lot of communities will refer to the one another's throughout the epistles. And we're called to encourage one another, hold each other accountable, love one another. And what structures does it take then to actually facilitate living out the one another's? And that's why some communities live the way they do so they can function that way, so they can fully live out the one another's. It's uh, accountability is as, um, I would say, diverse in these communities as it is in the local church. Um, You can have intense expressions of accountability in a community like Messiah out of Detroit, Michigan. Uh, Desiah Episcopal um, Church had this intentional community expression, and people would uh, not only live in the same household, but they would have these sessions of accountability for one another. And if someone uh, had said something or acted in a way that was felt to be against the grain of the community, they would gather and and meet and discuss this, um, taking seriously um, holding one another accountable, but also taking seriously some psychological approaches to group dynamics. And Hmm. it was both, I think, something of the charism of the community, but it also became the bane of the community because people felt that, you know, meeting at six o'clock in the morning to begin to process personal issues was not an inspiring way to start (laughs) the day. And so um, the community itself recognized that what it had embraced at one point in time was no longer serving the purposes that you in many ways are experimenting with what it means to hold one another accountable in ways that are helpful to the individual, but also in ways that are nurturing for the community. And something that perhaps worked in the early life of the community is discovered to not be as uh, helpful later, sometimes because the membership has changed, but sometimes because those who have been involved in this uh, just find this to be uh, something that is outdated. They've moved on and they need some uh, different way of relating to one another creatively to hold one another accountable that reflects how their own lives have changed. They may have started off as individuals who were single and now they're married with children. (laughs) And that's a huge uh, shift, not only in identity, but in life rhythms and the kind of time that one has available, the, the whole notion of intimacy that is not just, let's say, with another community member, but is with one's spouse, <laughs> um, that you're not uh, simply dealing with how are we as single people working collectively on these community issues that have some bearing on our time, but how are these community issues about which we feel so deeply sensitive to our family dynamics? And how those matters are changing. So um, 
one of my uh, insights in looking at communities is how they all are having to take seriously the transitions that are part of every community, the life transitions. Even, even if you had a community where no one left, you would be dealing with all kinds of life transitions that come about just from aging or the way in which people's attitudes begin to change over time. And it's the, or the way their finances change, finances change, the external realities that come upon a community. So uh, the extent to which a community has the capacity to uh, read these times and be creatively responsive will sometimes determine uh, the capacity of a community to have a, a longer life or its capacity to live with the frustrations of people feeling as if somehow or another uh, the community is out of sync with what needs to be right. occurring. Well, everybody cannot stay in their 20s for their whole life, as much as they may want to. But So um, the book is about intentional community, but it's also about radical discipleship. So how would you define radical discipleship? Um, basically, discipleship, um, as I write in this uh, book, is... Uh, about how we are following Jesus and the word radical, uh, the root for radical, I mean, the yeah, uh, radical as the root word uh, uh, in Latin that is about roots. <laughs> and it can mean that you are pulling up things by the root, which is considered radical, or you're going to the roots, you're, you're nurturing the roots, you're sustaining the roots. And uh, it avoids uh, simply characterizing radical as being extreme and expression and especially uh, callous to the to the way things are now. It's it's about care for roots and the willingness to pull up those roots that are failing um, what one is uh, seeking to harvest out of out of life. And uh, unfortunately, I it, I have felt that so much of the life of people in the church has not been attentive to this. We we like to focus on roots of scripture and roots of tradition and roots of worship, uh, while we have been inattentive to those uh, things that have been part of the life and deeply rooted in our life that really fail the faith itself, the kind of materialism that I think has taken over many churches, the kind of um, understanding of authority that seems more oriented to the preacher and leadership, the, the ways in which so much of our church life has felt to be a kind of um, accommodation to the realities of the larger culture rather than taking seriously there are times in which our faith is in critical relationship to what is occurring in the larger culture. And so it's this um, sense in which radicals um, are often seen as being really um, out of sorts with, I think, the institutional church, because there is so much of 
what they are doing in intentional communities that is perceived as a critique of what is happening in the church, and it is, and there is so much occurring in these intentional communities that is perceived to be attending to the roots of how the church was formed, and I think that that is also true. Uh, what I find to be um, interesting, and interesting is an interesting word you can use in a thousand different ways, uh, but what what really motivated uh, my work with this was to identify why why have institutional churches so often been dismissive of intentional communities when it has seemed to me that this is what our first communities were all about. And intentional communities have been part of the Christian heritage throughout all time of, of Christianity itself. And we have uh, periods where there are explosions of these Christian communities um, and periods where that's not so much the case. But to assume that the institutional models that we have of the case of the church are the only models of the church is, I think, a failing in our imagination as well as a failing in our understanding of our history. Yeah, it's always interested me, any book I look at on ecclesiology, what is the church all about? I see nothing about intentional communities or house churches or alternative ways of doing church. Yes. It's just such a minority that we might as well just ignore them. Right. So, and, and my, go ahead. My writing... Uh, my research and my writing was with the intention that there is so much that the institutional church can learn from intentional communities. Uh, intentional communities, I think, are experiments that are instructive and inspiring. And I believe there uh, are many lessons for intentional communities to learn from the institutional church. Yes. And <laughs> I, I, believe that every institutional church needs to have intentionality, even if it's not adopting various forms of intentional community. It needs to have intentionality in order to be about the work to which God has called it without sliding into or slipping into modes of of institutionalism that that fail uh what we have um uh decided to embrace and follow in who Jesus is for us all right so you write about the um circumstances both ecclesiastical and historical surrounding the founding of some of these communities what um, seems to exist prior in the, the, the culture of the, the church, et cetera, that gives rise to these communities? Um, one of the important um, motivations for forming these communities is uh, there are so many who have found in their local churches um, a complete um, resistance <laughs> to prophetic calling, that their churches are so accommodated to cultural matters that the church uh, postures itself to not be offensive 
to um, the larger community, to not be offensive to members who themselves are deeply rooted in certain cultural trends uh, related to economics, related to uh, people living in poverty, related to um, issues of violence in the larger society, um, and, and who have stands that one might find it very difficult to associate with what Jesus was about. And so uh, they, they are not giving up on Christianity, but they are uh, believing that uh, the institutional churches with which they are associated are not the containers of that Christianity, that, that the faith is so much more dynamic and expressive than what they have experienced in their local churches. And I'm, I'm very careful about expressing it this way because uh, I'm not wanting to characterize all local churches, all institutional churches as somehow or another um, representing this, this uh, caricature of local churches, but many, if not most uh, are in some way um not uh, intentional in mission regarding the prophetic call upon the church, the possibilities for compassion upon the church, the significance of being a caring neighbor to those who are certainly immediate to, to where you are, as well as those beyond where you are. Um, failing that, they have decided that their sense of what it means to be a Christian needs to have expression in a very different uh, structure and aligned with people who are like-minded about this, who are as committed as they are, and that working together, this could be the best use of their lives. Uh, many think of it as as a place where they would hopefully have a lifelong commitment. Uh, but for some, I think it's a place of testing to see if, if this particular expression of community can in many ways uh, be fulfilling in terms of their effort to be faithful. And beyond that, I mean, people may have a sense we need to do something different. There's got to be more. We want to live as family. This is too empty. But then what are the, the real key factors to actually get a community off the ground and make it viable? Well, um, here, here you come into all of the human dimensions of personality that um, – are at play in any um, organization, any any effort to work collectively together. And um, it can be really important for persons to listen to one another in terms of uh, what motivates joining uh, what persons aspire to have occur um, as mission is being identified within the context of a community, that persons feel heard, that this is a place where I'm just not asked to be a follower, which is, you know, the, the communities in which I looked are, are very different than 
cults where people are joining primarily, let's say, to follow an individual who uh, is perceived to have all the authority that is needed to uh, be guidance for the members of the community. Um, in the communities on which I focus, uh, it's, it's persons believing that community itself has uh, an element of authority and that their participation in the community is going to be a crucial voice in helping to shape that as well as to provide guidance for that understanding that God is the only authority for how this community will be going forward. And therefore, um, our work is to be so prayerfully engaged that we are seeking to discern God's will for us rather than having the imposition of someone's uh, ideas about that to um, asking for the rest of us to conform to it. So, so that kind of, of listening to one another and feeling heard and sensing that I'm actually giving shape to the life of this community into which I'm willing to enter in a covenantal relationship is really crucial because beyond that, you then get the various um, structures of community. Uh, what will the economics of our community be? What will the authority structure of our community be? Uh, where will the location of our community be? What will the expectations for relating to the outside world be? Uh, what are you doing with the resources I bring to the community? All of these complicated matters that are involved in uh, being a an intentional community uh, often uh, considerably more matters than a decision about joining a local church uh, will often decide uh, whether a community has vitality or whether it's a community that's characterized by constant conflict. So how essential is it to have that one person that really leads the way that people can gather around and trust? Oh, well, basically what I'm saying any orientation around the one person becomes problematic. <laughs> um, but I does it one, get off the ground if you don't have that one person? Uh, there are there are individuals that can be inspiring. For example, um, uh, Clarence Jordan in uh, the Koinonia community, um, I think, is an inspiring figure. Um, and many members of the Sojourners community are inspiring. Um, John Perkins, uh, so inspiring of the community in, in Mississippi. Uh, those individuals can draw people to a community. Those individuals uh, are appreciated, I think, in terms of what wisdom and commitment they bring. Uh, but in the communities on which um, I focused, uh, it was not long before other members of the community were really clear that you are one of us. We, uh, you know, one of the issues that Clarence Sturden had uh, was how often he was being called outside of the community to be a speaker. And mm -hmm. conflicts emerged in Koinonia because other members would say, wait a minute, 
So you get to go to all these places and you're doing, and meanwhile, the rest of us are back here doing the work of farming and attending to the conflicts that are occurring, not only within the community, but are coming to our community. And um, those kinds of distinctions become very problematic for the kinds of community on which I focus that we're really um, not wanting uh, a kind of, of individual who uh, in many ways was claiming leadership authority that especially, um, let's say, was the decider <laughs> on many matters. Uh, they could respect uh, the gifts of someone like a Clarence Jordan in terms of speaking and writing. Um, at the same time, they were wanting an individual to understand that the very thing that we respect that is a draw for some people does not constitute privileges within this community. And we look for you to be uh, living according to the covenant of arrangements that we have understood hold us together. And uh, they are, are very suspicious about exceptions to what is expected of, of each member of the community. So you write a lot about uh, community and calling. Uh, you talk about being called to be a peculiar people, to a particular place, and to an unknown future. Could you uh, fill that in more for us? Yeah, the, the peculiar people term is um, one that John Winthrop used um, in characterizing what it meant for them to be coming to um, this colony in America that uh, where they could be expressing their faith fully and the sense in which um, we have something distinctive in terms of being a people of faith that needs a place such as this in order to flourish. And I think that's, the way in which many communities think of themselves, that that they are peculiar, especially in, in light of most institutional churches. And um, in fact, so peculiar that many institutional churches are willing to characterize intentional communities as cults without knowing anything about them. They're just, if you're not, if you're not aligned with us, you're a cult. And this, of course, is a is a issue for the communities in the neighborhoods in which they existed that uh, people, uh, neighbors uh, would often think or wonder, is this a cult that's now among us, even when these communities did not have uh, the characteristics of a cult? And they were, these were communities that were wanting to for people to, to join in their life and they wanted to join in the life of the people. Uh, what is difficult for all of these communities is this criterion of membership. And when you have um, uh, qualities of membership that involve individuals, in some sense, giving up their old ways of just living every day to the new ways of the community, to some people, that's just cult by definition. And um, and so communities 
uh, always were in some sense uh, defining and redefining and redefining themselves and over time relying upon uh, neighborhood people being their best voices in saying they're not a cult. They understand themselves to be doing something profoundly Christian. They are living together in order to be exemplary of this model of the Christian faith. They're okay. They are our peculiar neighbors. Um, and and so the, the term peculiar is, I think, indicating how distinctive they are in so many ways in which they, they live, as well as so many ways in which they understand uh, what it means to be the church. Um, and this understanding of to a particular place is taking seriously that that faith is um in in many ways a a kind of uh act of prophetic stewardship uh where one is located that we're not talking about uh what does it mean to be a christian in some remote area of the world but what does it mean to be a christian where you are seeing people, interacting with people in the various businesses of people, when you see their suffering immediately, when uh, you know them by name and they know you by name, and how might this kind of interaction in a particular place be understood as an expression of faith, not just a strategy to have the community known, but it's it's an understanding of of who God has called us to be, where we are. So this calling is both to the individual, but it's also a calling to the community. And communities would often do uh, discerning about what is the location for our commitment and to take seriously that um, God's calling to a particular place is that which um, is a matter for deep discernment and uh, a matter for them to be giving themselves to. Uh, to give you an example of, of the conflict that can occur for a member who doesn't understand that sufficiently, it's one thing, let's say, if you are drawn to the charismatic life of Messiah as a community. And then you understand that Messiah understands its mission as also being to the immediate community where there is a great deal of impoverishment, people are dealing with food scarcity, and there are all sorts of needs in that local community as well as justice issues with the expectation that you're living in the community. Um, if you're not attuned to uh, this particular place being a dimension of mission there's going to be uh, something more than frustration. There's going to be uh, a kind of depression about uh, the way in which there's uh, you, you've missed the alignment with what this community is about. Though you've been so uh, drawn to its charismatic worship and even drawn to the individuals, if you haven't been drawn to the particular place, um, things are going to be uh, uh, just very disturbing for you. And it's it's going to be a problem for you as an individual, and it's going to be a problem for the community 
that is perhaps um, maybe you haven't even been explicit about your complaint about the community, but you're giving expression to this sense in which this is not your place in a variety of ways, the kinds of things you're not willing to volunteer to do, uh, the way in which you may be arguing about um, the deployment of time, uh, the the fact that um, you're being required to live in the area. You don't mind caring about the area, but you don't see why living in the area is essential to the commitment of this community. It's those kinds of things that make an understanding of a particular place important. And yeah, that's and probably the future aspect of this is um, in many ways, uh, when you join a community, uh, you cannot predict where this community is going. The community itself cannot predict what will be unfolding in the next year or two years or three years. You can, you can wish um, you can anticipate, but you cannot predict. And in, in many ways, communities are saying that unlike an institutional church where Sunday after Sunday, year after year, you might expect the same rhythms. This is not the case with us. And we need to adjust to that. And anyone who's joining needs to know that. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to say probably the living the geographical proximity, the focus on a place is maybe perhaps the biggest distinction or that in commitment to the institutional church and to intentional communities. It's like, no, we are in a place here. We are focused on this neighborhood. So um, say more about covenant. That's a very key concept for intentional communities. And along with that, you talk about convictions, structures, and especially commitment. Uh, um, covenant is so basic to um, to the biblical understanding of faith itself. Um, God saying, "I will be your God, and you will be my people." And there are covenant. This covenant relationship uh, then also relates to what does it mean for us to be a people who remember the laws. And a people who remember the stories and a people who remember the prophets um, that and a people who remember the covenant (laughs) and the anger that gets expressed through the prophets in the biblical narrative is an anger about forgetting or ignoring the covenant that was made, who we will be, who God is. And the covenant of of who God has said God will be uh, with us and for us, and if you if if that is forgotten, then you don't have the faith. <laughs> you you have um, perhaps some reconstruction of who God is that is convenient, but not uh, a relationship with the true God. And so uh, covenant is, is fundamental to the social arrangements. Uh, we have them in uh, marriage relationships. We have them in friendships. And the understanding being that in many ways, um, uh, this is an expression of my full self. This is not a contractual relationship of you do this, I'll do that. 
that's 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 a they are important, but that's a very very different understanding of what we're about than a just a contractual relationship. But but how am I giving my full self to you and to our joint commitment? And that joint commitment in intentional communities uh, can certainly entail that everyone in the life of the community as much as possible who constitute the um, the mission of the of the uh, community and and where the sense of not just covenantal relationship begins to break down, um, but also the sense that covenantal relationship is being attended to, that you're not just saying we all made some vow uh, a year or two or three years ago, and that's going to make it hold. And if there isn't uh, uh, some attention to sustaining the covenant, if, if there isn't some attention to prophetic voices within the community that are reminding the people that, you know, we seem to be ignoring this, uh, we have forgotten that, then you don't have um, community uh, with integrity. You, it's, it's evolved into something else, which is not, which is not to, to speak against a community evolving, but it's very different if a community evolves away from being a covenantal relationship versus a community that's evolving within its covenantal relationship to discover perhaps new approaches to how it wants to uh, be in mission or new approaches about its housing arrangements or its economic arrangements. Um, All of that can be an an important evolution in the life of a community that grows out of attention to the deepest commitment of covenant. But, But where the covenant commitment itself has been ignored or where the covenant commitment itself has been taken for granted, uh, then then you're in trouble as a community. And this is where I think so many communities have a critique of institutional churches. Uh, I know when I've done consulting for churches and have asked, what what is the covenantal commitment of members to one another? Uh, you would have thought that when I mentioned the word covenant, I was speaking some, I was speaking about some forgotten foreign language. And, you know, I asked the question, what, what does it mean that even the term covenant uh, is in some ways lost to the most fundamental meaning of what it means for us to be together as church? Hmm. And so, uh, Say more about commitment then, how um, you can have a covenant. We can agree on this covenant, but then how the commitment is lived out, what sort of accountability there is, what sort of emphasis is placed on commitment. Sure. Well, commitment is is one of these matters that um, can have such varied meanings uh, within even an intentional community. And one of my insights over the years, even since my focus on intentional communities, has been how uh, perhaps what is um, very threatening 
to the life of a local church are what is very threatening to the life of an intentional community is not the fact that you have people who are deeply committed and people who are not deeply committed. It's having people, all of whom are deeply committed and um, who question the commitment of the others. And this is the cause of conflict and turmoil, not, not the lack of commitment, but the different visions of commitment hmm. and the ways in which they address uh, that kind of um, difference, often with conflict, um, intentional conflict, as well as perhaps unintentional conflict, but conflict nonetheless that becomes destructive in the life of the community. So, you know, at the very outset of our conversation, I spoke about the, you know, just the desire to see what would occur in a context where people were all in with their commitment. And what for me became a, a real insight from this is, yeah, such contexts are wonderful for uh, having images of the Christian faith that are just uh, uh, inspiring in ways that seem like this is it. <laughs> and to also discover that that intensity of commitment can be such a source of um, draining the energy of people, of folks deciding to leave with severe criticisms about the community itself, where you get the efforts to address the conflict in what we would consider to be some unchristian ways, so such that the, the intensity of commitment is important, but I think we are um, prone for disappointment and also prone for uh, being misled if we assume that in and of itself will be sufficient to, um, you know, to, to, to really be that which holds the community together. So you have a quote from Howard Thurman that one of the dangers of with commitment is um, that people are committed to the commitment. Um, can you clarify that? Say more about that. It's it's true with any kind of covenantal, I think, relationship or any kind of commitment that draws upon our deepest selves for involvement. Um, as Howard Thurman was expressing it, uh, we can make an idol of commitment. And when you make an idol of commitment, you can have more of a commitment to the commitment than you have a commitment to God. And this is where discernment is crucial uh, for us, I think, in, in all of these endeavors, especially a covenantal endeavor. Um, how is this relationship to which I committed myself um, a month ago, a year ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? How is this relationship an expression of who God has called me to be, who God has called us to be. And um, after seeking to, to be as creative 
and as engaged as I've understood God has prepared me to be, that that the relationship is no longer a bearer of the calling itself. Um, how am I able to shake the dust off my feet and move on in a way that is faithful to God and not just faithful to the commitment that I made uh, previously? Hmm. Of course, the uh, you know what you're always dealing with is people who can um, then take that understanding and twist it in a way to suggest that, uh, oh, that just becomes an excuse from walking away from a commitment. No, that's, that's not what we're talking about. It's, it's, it's not, um, uh, it's, it's not the effort to have an easy way out from, uh, the, the travails, um, and, and the, the, the real uh, hard effort there is that's part of any covenantal relationship. It's, it's not that. It's not a matter of when, when things get rough, then the rough go. It's, no. But it is a recognition that we can find ourselves in a place, in a time, where that to which God is calling us is not this particular place and not this particular time. And that's not only for intentional communities, it's for the institutional church. And I've had, I've had students who struggled with their institutional church, not affirming them for ministry. And I have uh, insisted that if God has a calling upon your life, you have to, Pay attention to that calling and not just assume that the vote of the church has canceled God's calling upon your life. Mm. Um, even though perhaps that institutional church had been very affirming of you previously, but no longer is, your, your life response is to God, and that's a response to the covenant you have with God, which is... Um, Hopefully, that which um, has priority over any other covenantal relationship that's been made. So tied closely to covenant and commitment are membership and authority, uh, two issues that can also be very thorny in intentional community. What's essential for us to understand here? Um, it's... <laughs> It's very difficult in intentional communities to um, to to determine what should be the criteria by which someone becomes a member, because um, the community life itself is so intense. And can be so um, uh, time-consuming, so energy-consuming. Even if you're working with people who have been on board for some time, to have someone come in and um, perhaps 
uh, have one image of the community, but once they are fully involved, have a different image of community, such person, such an individual can be disruptive for the whole life of the community. And so communities can uh, be very attentive to um, the kind of criteria by which and they are able to discern an, an individual's match for this community. Um, it can be a process that goes on for a year or more, and people can be moving through phases and have discussions with um, committees that are doing some mentoring and some discerning about someone's eligibility for for membership. But um, it's an effort to make the process of entering uh, one in which this individual is also able to make a more informed decision, as well as the community. Uh, because uh, once you're in a community, it's also an obligation for the community, as well as your obligation to the community. So, uh, but from those who are on the outside who are thinking about what it means to have membership in an institutional church, such a, a criteria, such a process can be perceived as um, the kinds of things that they associate with cults. You know, it's, you, you, you run the gauntlet and, um, and an outsider might perceive this to be, they want to be sure you're going to follow our authority and what you're told to do. Um, from the outside, it can be perceived as, oh, this this is where the brainwashing takes place. This is where people get shaped into um, leaving all of these other things we know to be important behind. And, and membership can then be very hard because as they develop relationships with neighbors and neighbors are very, very excited about members of the community and what they're doing, but also feel like there's a barrier into the most intimate aspect of a community's life where people are gathered and, and uh, cultivating um, group life together. It may be the household or it may be within the community itself where they, they really are not um, wanting people who are not members to be part of that but they also are aware how that kind of restriction is leading others to perceive them as being exclusive. Um, and, and, and that becomes a difficult barrier um, to get through. So, so membership is important. The process of membership is crucial for the vitality of the community. And membership can also be uh, the kind of of process and the kind of status that is um, complicated for a community in a particular area. And then along with that authority. Yeah. And this is some of this we've spoken about before that being uh, in the communities where I was focused, the idea that uh, authority truly resides with the community itself. And, you know, there may be committees with certain levels of authority, maybe over household matters or the economics or the extent to which um, 
um, people have been faithful in terms of, you know, showing up for their responsibilities. Um, it's they have been very, very clear <clears throat> that authority does not rest with a with only one person. And authority should not rest with even one committee if others have not um, in some way um, felt that this committee has been operating according to what we understand to be the covenantal commitment of 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 all of us uh, to the community itself. So um, authority uh, is, is that is spread out can be helpful um, and authority that is spread out can be very complicating when you need an immediate decision <laughs> about, let's say an individual who um, has shown herself or himself to be um uh, uh, needing to actually not be involved in, in community matters. It may be their own emotional issues or a decision needs to be made um, regarding some legal matter regarding the community. And there's not the kind of time for processing or someone decides <clears throat> there's a protest going on and we need to show up for that. And people show up but maybe the whole community hasn't really agreed. This is this is where our witness is. And now you have given us publicity that we didn't ask for as a community. <clears throat> it's those kinds of issues of authority that communities are are dealing with. Um, and um, that that can be frustrating at times, especially as you establish committees <clears throat> that are hopefully um understood to be processing difficult issues um through the community structure as i uh had mentioned about sojourners at one time they had more committees than their 20 members and so you know <laughs> you you can understand what kind of um uh burden that can be on an individual's time as well as just the process of keeping up with all of those committees. Wow. Okay, so you uh, spent a lot of time on focused on the social transformation of the communities around them. Um, you focused on communities that were dealing with neighborhoods or people that were living on the margins of poverty, et cetera. So what's, first of all, two parts of the question, what's the biblical basis for this sort of engagement? And then what are the methods that these communities used? Mm. Uh, the communities were taking seriously, uh, you know, I'm, I mentioned Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited. The communities were taking seriously the uh, biblical narrative around issues of oppression and um, injustice and compassion, especially uh, what uh, we had heard in Latin American theology as God's preferential option for the poor, and um, gave themselves to that. And these were often the communities that seemed so um, vulnerable uh, to uh, just matters of basic survival and 
they discovered that the government was not paying sufficient attention to, there were not enough nonprofits that could be responsive to the needs. And uh, communities would be involved in such things as gardening uh, to provide um, nourishment to members of the community. So they'd have these community gardens um, are uh, providing um, clothing banks for uh, people in the community, uh, having uh, weekends where there would be um, food available for persons, especially uh, those that, let's say, had had helped to uh, create a kind of collective of purchasing uh, items that could be dispersed among those who had some membership in uh, this this particular way of of getting uh, bulk items into their families. Communities would often be responsive to children and their needs. And so there would be summer programs for children. There would be back to school initiatives for children. There would be mentoring for children. Um, uh, the needs of the children were something that was um, addressed in every community that I uh, focused upon. And uh, the ability to have outreach to the adults in the community sometimes came through the children. Um, and, uh, you know, the kinds of needs that were being met by the communities were needs that went beyond what the family could provide uh, or an individual in the family could provide. And these communities were there to uh, be helpful uh, in those ways. And then you have a community like Sojourners, which understood itself to not only be responsive to neighborhood needs, but to have a magazine that's addressing such issues as war and um, poverty and uh, mass incarceration and um, the, the kind of, of other crises that are perceived as occurring uh, around the nation that are failing to have um, a people of faith addressing them um, in ways that indicate the prophetic uh, call to uh, be engaged in this. And so this sort of media involvement of sojourners was also understood to be a way of calling attention to the issues of injustice, a preferential option for the poor, um, and the the issues of compassion that are so often missed uh, by many communities and many local churches. Um, so th those the the biblical roots for that were were understood by all of these communities. It wasn't just these weren't just expressions of altruism. These weren't just expressions of of um, some kind of social theory, uh, but they were expressions of faith that uh, there was there was no question about why we are doing this. This is this comes through uh, the the biblical narrative to us, and we have no reason to be apologetic about it or defensive about it. Uh, if anything, the um, issues of explanation fall more on local churches that are not doing this work than on us. And did you find amongst the communities that you researched that there was an emphasis on personal spiritual growth and the disciplines and practices that would facilitate that? Certainly. I mean, um, 
Uh, Sabbath was an expression in all of these communities. Um, the work at on uh, Messiah, it was so interesting how, oh my goodness, so many times throughout the week, they would be attentive to not just the spiritual questions that people brought, but to perceptions of what's going on with someone spiritually and calling together the community to to deal with that, especially beginning, let's say, in their household arrangements, but it could go beyond that. Um, Looking at uh, gaining counseling resources that went beyond the skills of a community and communities identifying uh, either among those who were not members of the community, but who were supporters of the community, the kinds of counseling resources that could be helpful to a member are even going beyond those resources. Uh, Communities were taking seriously um, spiritual formation. There would be Bible study. There would be relationships with institutional churches of their community. So there wasn't some kind of wall between these communities and institutional churches, they they welcomed it. They they wanted it. They they would, in many ways, uh, work collaboratively with institutional churches. There weren't many, but but those that that were open to uh, a collaborative work, those who appreciated what these communities were doing in their own neighborhoods or in a neighborhood across town. Communities were very receptive um, to that. So uh, whatever would be done out of the prophetic work of these communities was understood to be informed by the spiritual formation of its individuals. And, of course, you, you, you can't even think about the prophets without thinking about their own spiritual formation. They are not just um, advocates about social conditions. They are speaking um from their hearts what they have discerned has come from god's heart and um this this is um i think to the credit of these communities um taking seriously uh the kind of attention and work that that must be done about um uh, what's happening with individuals at a very personal level that you know, they may have some of the spiritual resources within the community, but what's happening to individuals at a personal level that may require more professional help uh, that that are are addressing perhaps some psychological, emotional type matters uh, that go beyond the skill set of the community members. So one key thing that draws so many people to intentional community is uh, life together as family. Um, many people have come from dysfunctional families or they they just sense that there has to be something more than this and it's not so much about the mission to the marginalized but they want family what have you found through your research that what are the sort of practices and orientations that facilitate life together yeah that that can be very complicating for communities um this is one of the the issues that relates to communities um, being very discerning about who becomes a member because um, if persons are really dealing with, let's say 
uh, an abusive parent, then they can easily transfer the identity of this parent onto a member of the community who's in authority. Hmm. And when that happens, you may have some sense of what informs their reactions, or you may have no sense of what's informing their reactions. So um, the desire for family in these communities can be a something that leads to a good deal of healing where people experience something positive. It can be very complicating for the community if people are coming with such unresolved issues that they're looking for the community to address. And, and maybe a community isn't really prepared to attend to all of these issues. Um, and communities are not, the communities at which I looked were not setting themselves up to say, we're here to address, you know, all of these things that you're, you're bringing. Um, so this, this matter of, of looking for family is welcomed by the community. If you're thinking of family as a nurturing place of intimacy, of care, of covenantal relationship, fine. But um, we also know that um, there's no one typology of family that characterizes all the church members, that even characterizes the Bible. <laughs> and so um, you, you, you can have people who are, are coming with uh, some, some very uh, difficult uh, matters, and they're looking for something from the community that the community is not prepared to offer, even though the community itself may be working on um, being in some form or fashion a covenantal family. You know, this whole term of family is often what churches will use. Um, you are a family, and, you know, it gets broad. You are the family of God. And um, I, uh, I know I began our conversation saying I thought of the church as my second family. Um, but I also was really clear about uh, what were the boundaries of my expectation for that over and against my home family. And, and I don't think um, that's always the case with people who are coming into a, who are coming out of a sense of profound emotional, familial need. And that can often be disguised because maybe some of the most apparently functional people in the community, including leadership, can have those issues deeply, but it's not recognized because they're the leaders, right? right. So right. It, it can be really tricky. But obviously, that's a big part of your book, uh, Mission and Intimacy, right? Yes. So... Um. All right. Wow. So finally, you wrote this book 30 years ago. I'm interviewing you on it today because I think it's still totally relevant. It's very important. But you've had 30 years more experience. You're still, I mean, you've been a professor of church and community. Um, so you've learned a lot more. You've experienced more yourself. Um, what can you tell us 
from your additional experience and research since writing the book that's relevant to all this? Mm. Um, all of the communities that I researched um, are in a very different place than they were then. And they all exist at some level, which is very hopeful. Yeah. And they were changing even over the 15 years in which I was engaged in this research. Um, what I, uh, so that doesn't, you know, that, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, it's, it's the character of, of churches. It's especially the character of intentional communities that you have uh, dramatic changes over a quote, short period of time. Uh, what what I have also felt as I have gone back through what was said in the book is that it all holds. It's the, the issues that were mentioned are issues that continue to occur within the life of the community. Um, and there's nothing that I'm saying now is to suggest that communities themselves are fixed because I clearly not saying that just as I've just said, you know, they can take very, very different forms. They can, you know, sojourners no longer has the, the, the whole uh, living arrangements and, and living community that they had. They redefine the meaning of community in a very different way. Um, and so is the case for uh, places like Patchwork Central, another community on which I focused. Dramatically different forms. Uh, what I find myself um, less uh, convinced is similar to when I was writing um, 30 years ago is the state of the institutional church. Um, it... It, um, I think, I think we're at a period where it's going through significant change. The statistics indicate uh, increasing numbers of persons will speak of themselves as spiritual but not religious, a term which I have some issues with, but they speak of themselves as spiritual is not religious, which is another way of, of indicating that affiliation with a local church is not for them the way by which they see themselves mm -hmm. uh, yep. being uh, spiritual persons. Uh, I, I, I think there's been such uh, disruption in the life of, of denominations, which means the disruption in the life of local churches, uh, such searching for footing in a culture that itself is changing dramatically as to what kinds of of uh, uh, of expressions uh, in the culture, in music, in in the media, other media, are acceptable, in notions of um, even national identity or what's happening internationally. Uh, life at the border, 
you know, what's on the national agenda, uh, what kind of political changes are acceptable or people wanting, uh, how we understand that uh, some of the of the larger cultural discourse that we probably could not have imagined 30 years ago is occurring now with in ways that so many people are feeling uh, that the center is not holding and things are, are coming apart. And, and I, you know, I'm not there to at the point of, of saying things are coming apart, coming apart, but I do think things are dramatically different and I do think things can come apart, but uh, I'm also, I've lived through periods of our history that have had dramatic change that have been very devastating for people and I, I think I can put up periods of our history as, in terms of, um, how, of, of life being on the very edge uh, that match what's going on at this particular point in time and what's been going on over the next 10, 15, 20 years. So it's for me, it's our institutional life of the church that feels so different than it did 30 years ago, mm-hmm. so much more so than I think the kind of dynamics occurring with uh, intentional communities. And I think there there are periods in our life, especially in the uh, 60s, especially in the uh, 19th century, where we would have thought that the cultural changes would lead to an increase in intentional communities as places, not just of refuge, but as places of uh, resurgence of of energy and formation as there is this need for, um, I think, uh, a collective community. Um, With our social media and its role in forming collective community (laughs) for people, in a way in which many of them do not seem to be calling that into question, but seeing uh, virtual community as viable forms and expressions of community. I don't know. And I've even known intentional communities that have been raising that question. To what extent is virtual community um, addressing uh, the needs of this, of individuals as well as, mission needs as uh, viably as um, as people coming together and living in a place and might a virtual community be able to get at things that trying to live together you don't have to deal with all that quote mess <laughs> uh, of of you know these these relationships of being in a home or being in a place and and matters of neighbors and you know we we can just attend to that which has brought us together uh, which has been my long way of answering your question of uh, of, of feeling like uh, for for intentional communities, what is written, uh, I think, um, uh, has uh, merit for communities that are forming today. Uh, but communities that are forming today are in a very, very different social climate than I think communities 30 years ago. All right. Well, so much to consider and ponder, but um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm still convinced intentional communities are a very important movement to to participate in. There's a lot of dangers, to be sure, a lot to be aware of, but um, it's so vital to the body of Christ. I'm Dennis Metzler. You've been listening to The Charge. We've been with Dr. Luther Smith, uh, the author of Intimacy and Mission, Intentional Community as Crucible for Radical Discipleship. It's available below. Just follow the link. So, Dr. Smith, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. All right. Peace to everyone.